Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in Acts chapter 17 this week, still in the book of Acts. I know it's not the most common of Christmas passages, is it? Acts chapter 17. But Christmas is about Jesus coming. And Acts is about telling people that Jesus came. So I can make the connection. Uh, and, Acts, and I like Acts chapter 17. When I was a kid, I liked Acts chapter 17 because Paul's cousin Jason is the main character for the first half of the chapter. It's a good Greek name. It means healer. But that's actually not why Acts 17 is. It's the second half of the chapter that I love now. Because to me, it became... Uh, it, it's the gold standard for evangelism to me. We don't live uh, quite in the same world that we grew up in. Can we, uh, be, the, the world that we were raised in is a thing of the past. I love the United States. I love that it was found on godly, biblical principles. Um, The Bible doesn't promise us that we will live in such a place. Uh, Our our founding fathers created that place, but we didn't keep it. And some of us were raised in a very Christian country, or at least a somewhat Christian country. And I think it's very sad that our kids do not have that country that I was raised in. Um, But the Bible doesn't promise that we're going to get that kind We're not owed that. It was a privilege when we had it. The biblical family, the biblical definition of the family is increasingly a thing of the past. Uh, the church. Church attendance is at an all-time low. The church is a thing increasingly of the past. Um, the number one thing that I, I think I think the number one reason why that's the case I think I think I think I think it was a two phase attack number one there was always sin in the world there was always people who were not living Christ like as is their freedom but then we invented television and we could advertise to everybody what a non Christian life looked like we could put that on TV and put it in everybody's homes that you couldn't escape from it. That was phase one. Then we invented the internet and took it out of the hands of a few people in Hollywood and told everybody you can tweet and have TikTok and you can put your non-Christian stuff online for everybody to see. And I honestly think that that's the two, phase, the, the two th- tools that, that Satan has used to undermine the biblical values that our founding fathers established us. Now, again, I want to I emphasize, I don't see in the Bible that if you do A and B, God owes you a Christian nation. But I think that that's why we are here. Uh, we used to not parade our dirty... Uh, we, we used to not parade our dirty laundry. It, sin always existed. But you couldn't watch other people sin quite, quite so frequently. We certainly didn't take pride in the sins that we used to hide. The world is moving very far away from the Bible. And so we can't hide our heads and pretend that this... uh, I like Christmas because it's still called Christmas. 
and it's got Christ in it. And it's that one time of the, the world doesn't care about Easter, but the world, at least in the U.S., cares about Christmas, even if they're not Christian. It's still Christmas. And people still say Merry Christmas. Um, yeah, some people say Happy Holidays, which doesn't bother me. It's a holy day, holiday. Uh, yeah, I know that there's Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and all these other holidays, but it's Christmas, right? I mean, that's, that's the big holiday that it still is. It still is, to me, the easiest day to evangelize, except for the fact that there's an awful lot of people that have no idea what the Christmas message is, increasingly. They kind of know that it vaguely has to do with trees, which it doesn't, and a donkey, which it does a little bit, maybe. Maybe? I don't know. The donkey's more an Easter thing than 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 a Christmas thing. This is the perfect time to tell people about Jesus, to tell people the gospel message, which is not that a kid was born in a manger, but that the Savior came to die for us and save us from sin. Christmas is the first half and Easter is the second. Uh, Now, in this sense, I feel like we're getting a lot more biblical in a way. The ancient world that Paul and Peter preached to didn't know the Christmas message. They didn't know who Jesus was. The Roman world was very, very pagan, very, very um, inappropriate in a lot of ways. Anybody that's done any studies of Roman graffiti uh, these people rivaled modern America for their, for, for their depredations. And that was the world that Peter and Paul preached to, and that's the world that we preach to. So in, I, I don't think it's an impossible evangelistic message because in the time period that we're reading of the book of Acts, it was a very pagan, anti-Christian culture. Anti-Christian because you could believe anything you wanted to in Rome as long as you didn't say, and I'm the only one that's right. <laughs> But that's exactly the gospel message, is that Jesus alone is salvation. And so we find ourselves increasingly, I think, I think more than ever before, in the days of Rome. And in the days of, of this ancient pagan world that the book of Acts takes place in. That was a world desperate for the truth of a gospel, in which the disciples boldly evangelized. And I think that we live in that world again. So I think it's the perfect time to re-examine the gospel, share it with those in need. It's time for Christians to challenge the world. And I think that Christmas is a great time for that. So with all of that said, Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, well, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. We want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. We're very much like these guys, right? 
In English, it says that Paul was greatly distressed. And too often, I think we kind of ignore that word greatly. We kind of say, oh, you know, it bugged Paul. He was a little bit irked that, that, the, that they followed this false religion and the people were misled into eternal damnation. It just kind of bugged him a little bit. Um, kind of like our world. It, you know, it's a shame that there's all these people that aren't Christians. That kind of, kind of bugs me a little bit. No. Paul was greatly distressed, enraged, upset, provoked. Uh, he saw a problem. And it made him angry. He did not have this to each their own mentality. Um, there was a clash of religions here. Now, keep in mind that Paul was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of Jews. And, and the Jewish mindset prior to the gospel, the Jewish mindset was, this is our religion. There was no need to evangelize. It's not like the Jews told the Greeks and the Egyptians, you guys are following the wrong God. You need to follow the true God. There's no Old Testament command that to, to evangelize. There's the promise that one day they will. Micah, Isaiah, one day all nations will come to the hill of the Lord. But the emphasis is that the nations will come here to you guys. You won't have to go out. They will come to you. And so it would be very easy for Paul to fall into this mindset. This is our religion. This isn't for Athenians and Romans and Macedonians and most that's man that becomes our problem today I feel in the church people around us are dying daily without knowing Jesus that means they're dying and separated from God for eternity and most of us are more concerned about what we're going to have for lunch on Sunday than we do about the state of other people that God loves, that he made in his image. So many Christians have become relativists. You do your thing, I'll do mine. What's good for you is going to be different than what's good for me. Not be, I, I've shared um, in Urbana, I had, a, I had a radio show, I had a weekly radio show, and uh, I just played for a couple hours a week. And Three or four of us were talking about putting together kind of a religious debate show on the radio, which would have been a lot of fun, I think. Uh, and and uh, the, the station manager said, I, I get that you think that what you believe is true. He said, what I don't get is why you think you need to convince everybody else. Why can't you do your thing and we do our thing? And And to the rest of the world, that is as worldly logic as you can get. Evangelism, sharing the good news is foreign, it's offensive to the world that we live in. Um, in the name of cultural sensitivity, we refuse to tell people that they're right or wrong. I, I've, been, I've been somewhat amused. I do try to stay on, on, I try to keep up with a little bit of social media. Uh, the last week there was this incredibly misguided attempt to defend, to me a misguided attempt, to defend the Aztec culture how dare the Spaniards come in and stop human sacrifice? That was their culture. That was their religion. Who was the Catholic Church in Spain to tell them that they were wrong? Well, there's a reason that the Spanish had a pretty easy time coming into Mexico and, and conquering the Aztecs. And it was because the Aztecs weren't sacrificing their own people very much. 
They were conquering other tribes and killing off their people, and all those other tribes were thrilled to see the Spaniards. Save them from human sacrifice. Um, uh, Tell them that in Jesus there is freedom and love, two things that did not exist in the religions of Quetzalcoatl and Tetzcatlipoca and all the rest of those, those Mesoamerican gods. Who, who are we to tell the Aztecs you can't sacrifice the p- human beings? You know, who, who, who are we to say that our religion is, is better? The way of Christ is better. The way of the gospel is, is better. That, that is the message of the gospel, that this is not just better. This is best, this is truth, and everything else is a falsehood and a failure. Look, the world, the world changes its mind frenetically. Um, back and forth. Yes, our world once valued slavery. Praise God that we see that as a sin now. Um, that, it is, that it is wrong for a human being to own another human being. Um, that we were made to be free. In the 70s, all that LGBTQ stuff was seen as mental illness. Today it's celebrated with parades and flags and, and, and the word pride, keeping in mind that pride is... is a sin, uh, drugs, things that were once, I mean, there was a time when cocaine was celebrated and then it was criminal and it wouldn't surprise me if we're heading back into being celebrated again, uh, the way that our world works. Uh, Hitler was time's man of the year. Let's remember that Adolf Hitler was a celebrated individual. I don't understand. <laughs> Why do we take nations that stone women for showing their faces in public and say, you deserve to sit on the United Nations Human Human Rights Council. Our world has no idea what is right and wrong. And when they decide what is right and wrong, just give them a few years. They'll change their mind. The Bible is always right. And anything that goes against the Bible is always wrong. It is a sure foundation. It is timeless. Jesus is always good for everyone doesn't matter your culture. doesn't matter if it steps on your toes. We have a world that d- never wants to be offended, although they n- never mind offending anybody else. <laughs> Everybody doesn't thinks that they have the right to not be offended, and it doesn't matter if they offend anybody else. Jesus is a stumbling stone. He will offend all of us at some point, because any time that we're not right, he's going to say to us, you need to be more Christ-like, more godly, and we will get defensive and we will rise up against that and it will offend us that how dare he call us wrong. But, but the Christian struggles through that and says, but your ways are right. Hell isn't sensitive to your feelings. Hell doesn't care about your childhood trauma. The irony of our culture is that we the irony of our culture is that we've said that truth is relative. We've redefined the word truth. There could the only thing that could be more ironic than redefining the word truth, which should be an absolute word, is that then just to follow it up for good measure, we've recently redefined the word Orwellian, which is the word about redefining the word truth. Um, and that just astounds me. But that's the world that we live in. You know, the the George Orwell's point in 1984 was that we would literally reverse the meanings of words to defend what we were becoming. And, and that book wasn't supposed to be predictive, but it absolutely, it wasn't supposed to be a roadmap on how to build the future, but it absolutely was. 
Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That is a solid statement, and it is 100% true. He decides who is saved. It's not open to debate. It's not open to a vote. My opinion on who is saved or not does not matter. It is God's alone that matters. We should be greatly distressed that so many people do not know Jesus and are lost. Islam is not an alternative. Paganism is not an alternative. And it's on the rise, people calling themselves pagan and Wicca. Modern Christianity that redefines the foundation of the Bible. Well, we know the Bible says this, but let's modernize it. That's, that's a tragedy. That's not modernization. People need Jesus. He is the Christ. Now, having said this, let's talk just a little bit on Jesus' strategy for evangelism. Because Jesus doesn't say, follow me or burn. Let's be very clear. There is next to no references to hell in the Old Testament. And people talk about the God of damnation in the Old Testament, whereas the God of love in the New Testament. But hell doesn't, God, God doesn't talk about hell in the Old Testament. That's just New Testament. Jesus is the first we hear about hell. But he does it in a loving way, does he not? He tells people, you need to follow me because God has prepared a better home for you, and he wants to rescue you from this place where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. Jesus doesn't threaten people. He loves them and invites them to spend eternity with him. And that's how Paul, that's where Paul is going. And so as we transition into this next passage, we see that although Paul is greatly distressed, it motivates him to great compassion and love. And so let's keep reading then here in verse, in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from us, from each one of us, forgive me. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We need to care about people. We need to have compassion for our fellow men and women who were also made in God's image. We say at this time we are joy to the world and peace on whom his favor rests. I hope we mean it. Because I think it's very easy not to. We complain that Christmas is too commercialized and, and that it's become overblown and it's all about the, uh, uh, the mercantilism and, 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 and the business aspect and purchases and the busyness and that it's lost its meaning. But can we lose the meaning? Christ came to earth to redeem humanity. Do we share that message? Do we, do we love people that Jesus died for? It is indeed about giving gifts. 
It's about giving people what they need most, and every person on this planet, every single person on this planet needs Jesus. That's the gift that we all need. It's Christmas time, and it's the best time to mention this the most, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Let's deal with the gut-wrenching need. And, and it's not about being pretty. It's not about lights. I, I love Christmas lights, but they're not the point. It's not about the lights or being pretty. And it's not about dodging the bullet and just trying to, trying to avoid the subject and avoid, what, hurting people's feelings? Hell is much more painful than hurting feelings. Paul, looking around at the culture, said, man, your guys, your priorities are out of whack. You're so wor-. He, he said, you're, you're so worried that you're going to miss one of the gods that's out there and, 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 and accidentally offend it, that you've made this emergency altar just in case we missed you. Here's, here's an altar for an unknown god. But what Paul told them was, all of that's wrong. Only Jesus can save. There is no other salvation. None of these other gods at your altars, at your temples, can save. But Paul said this in love. I, again, I just, I'm astounded at, 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 at the life of Paul, a guy who goes from town to town evangelizing and then getting nearly killed for it. Where they take him outside and stone him, and for those that don't, don't know, or they, they put him in a ditch and, and everybody takes turns throwing rocks at him until they think he's dead. And he survives this multiple times and he still loves the people. I, Jason would probably be angry. Jason would probably be bitter and say, God, why are you doing this to me? I guess you're not calling me to ministry. I don't know that I can do this anymore. Paul does this in love. Now, we create, we, we, we've created this false dichotomy between heaven and hell. Again, we have people that say, oh, I like the God of the New Testament, he's loving, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament, who's so condemning. Again, I I find that ironic for two reasons. One, the Old Testament isn't the one that talks about hell. That's the New Testament. And two, he is the same God. He is just as loving in the Old Testament as he is in the New. He's the same. But we've made this weird dichotomy where you can talk about damnation or you can talk about eternal salvation and love, but you cannot talk about Love and damnation in the same sentence. You can either tell people about God's love or you can tell them about hell, but you can't do both. And my question is, who says that? Because Paul does both. Um, too many Christians think that these are opposite messages, but they're the same message. If I, if, I, if I get sick and I go see the doctor and the doctor says, you have cancer, I want to know what my options are. I want to know what treatments are, and I want to know what happens if I don't get treated. And, and all of that is just telling me the truth. And if my doctor is a good doctor and is, has, has sworn that Hippocratic oath and wants my best, then, then telling me this is what's going to happen to you and these are the symptoms and, and if you don't get treatment, that, that is not a hateful thing. It's just the opposite. Frankly, that's the loving thing to do is to tell me how I'm sick, what symptoms I'm facing, what are my options, what's going to happen if I don't take any of those options. That's an option too, right? Sin, left untreated, is eternally deadly. And people need to hear about that. They need to hear what a life without Jesus looks like, not because we're rooting for them to go to hell, but because we love them, and we need to love them, because we love them and we don't want them to go to hell. 
because there's nothing loving in hiding the truth. I don't want to, f- I don't want to stand in judgment and have a non-Christian friend of mine standing next to me, looking at me, saying, you knew we were going to stand here one day and you didn't tell me? I don't want that. And you don't either. Paul met people where they were at. He said, you're very religious, very spiritual, very superstitious. The word can go any of those ways. It's a good starting point for Paul. Uh, it lets him build on it. You know, take what they have and work with it. It's a compassionate response. And as I said, I think this is the gold standard for evangelism. He meets people where they're at. Here's your situation. You're worried that you're going to miss something. Let me tell you what you're missing. There's no insults. This isn't a fight that he has to win because Paul matters. This This is a discussion he's having with them because they matter to God. There's nothing but compassion and the need to tell people the truth. Objective truth matters and it's real god loves people and he wants to save people and they need to hear that so let's finish the chapter up in verse 29 paul says therefore since we are god's offspring we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by man's design and skill in the past god overlooked such ignorance But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let me say that being concerned is not enough. Being compassionate is not enough. Until we are confrontational, we will never get to the heart of what the problem is. Lots of people see starving kids on TV in Africa, um, and, and they feel bad. But if they don't donate money, feeling bad doesn't do anything. In fact, one of the, one of the interesting things... Um, the comment has been made about, uh, let, me, let, me, let me say that most of this climate stuff, I don't believe. I'm, let me be very clear. We are stewards of the world that God gave us. I'm a huge fan of recycling, huge fan of recycling. Um, I think we should take care of our world, okay? I also think that there's a lot of people that are making money off of scare tactics, and these are often people that own multiple homes and multiple jet airplanes, and they're telling me that I need to cut back on how much I run my microwave oven. And I think, that that's, I think that that's a scam. And I think that that's ridiculous. And I think that a lot of people jump on board this because they want to feel good about themselves. And hitting a like button on Facebook or Twitter is a great way to show that they're good people. No effort in being good at hitting a like button. They're not going to change their life. They're still going to use plastic silverware as much as they want to. And styrofoam and all the other things. But they're going to keep hitting like every time their favorite celebrity says we should cut every, their favorite celebrity in a yacht says that they should cut back their carbon footprint. And I think that our world works that way, that we like to feel passionate about something, but we don't actually like to do something about it. We just want the feels. So it's easy. That's where social media is with with its like buttons on Twitter and Facebook, and I don't know if any of the others have like buttons. They probably do. 
That's where it's easy to, to pat ourselves on the back and give ourselves a false sense of superiority without making one bit of difference. Um, pe- lots of people claim that they care about knowing Jesus. But if they're not becoming more Christ-like, if they're not praying and, and, and listening to the leading of the Spirit when he prompts us to be more like Jesus, if we ignore the Spirit again and again, then it's meaningless because the point of being a Christian is to become more Christ-like. And if we resist that, and Stephen makes it very clear that we can resist the Holy Spirit in, in, in the book of Acts, if we resist the Spirit, then I don't know that we have the right to call ourselves Christians if we resist becoming Christ-like. Paul calls these people religious. Now, I said a minute ago that spiritual is another translation, but superstitious could be a translation too. And I think it's a fair one in this case. And so we asked the question when he said, you guys are really religious. Could be spiritual, could be superstitious. Is this a compliment or is this a backhanded insult? And I can't, I, two degrees in Greek, and I can't tell you if it's, if, and, I, and I think that Paul is just vague enough that I think that it left all of his listeners saying, is, did he just compliment us or did, he, or did he just make a little dig at us? And I think that they would have been listening. Um, what is he saying? Might have complimented them. He might have complimented them. But let's not confuse that for at no point did he accept their idolatry. Paul got to the heart of the issue and confronted the real issue. They were lost. They were dead lost. They were not, they were not saved. And that's the point. People need Christ. That's the point of Christmas. People need Christ. It's not, it's not a generic holiday. It's not about tinsel and wrapping paper and Rudolph and Santa. Christmas is about the Christ. The other day, um, somebody put on the internet a list of Christmas movies. I'm always amused that Die Hard makes the list. They look Christmas movies and, and, and vote on your favorite. And resoundingly, I always vote Charlie Brown because it's the one that tells you why there's Christmas. It's the one that gives you the real meaning. And I'm amazed that they put it on TV every year still. One of these days, I, f- I swear it's going to come off TV because the message will be too offensive to a world that doesn't want to hear that they are sinners in need of a Savior. But Charlie Brown Christmas tells us who Jesus is. And, and, it's, and, I th- and it's one of the best television moments. Um, you guys know what an intervention is, right? An intervention is when you go to a friend and say you have been drinking too much, gambling too much, eating too much, whatever the thing is, and, and, and we're concerned for you. I had a friend a number of years ago that I said to him, uh, I, I can say his name, Clayton. Um, I said, Clayton, I've buried two good friends before the age of 35 who, who died from their weight, and, they're not, and they were not as big as you are. You're not going to see 35 either. And he started to lose weight. I was right, unfortunately, he, and, he, and he died from his obesity. Um, and the thing that hurt me was that I was the only one that ever told him that. I wasn't even really, it's not like we were great friends. We are just friends. We bought comic books at the same, we, we both went to the comic book store on Thursdays and bought comic books, and we'd sit around the store and play a few board games together. And it hurt me that no one, it, it, it hurts that no one else, family members, didn't pull him aside and say, you're eating yourself to death. That only one person cared. 
a, a guy that he bought com- a guy that also bought comic books. That an intervention is when someone steps in and says out of love, "I did like Clayton. He was a great guy." And I, and I'm so happy that not only did he start to lose weight, which didn't save him in the end, he also accepted Christ right before his death. And that's the awesome thing is I'll see him later. I am. The point of an intervention is love. It's not. It's not Clayton. You're eating yourself to death, and ha ha ha. You know that that would be. I mean, there's no point for that. That's 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 cruel. It's vindictive. It's hateful. An intervention is when someone loves someone so much they say, "We love you, and we hate to see what you're doing to yourself, and you you shouldn't do this." And someone needs to tell you that you're worth more than this. Isn't that what evangelism is? When we tell someone you're loved, God loves you, and that and that's why it's so important that we are loving. Paul's strategy is not hateful. It's not negative. It's not, you're all going to hell, ha, ha, ha. And we need to make sure that we don't do that. Because there are some Christians that use that as their strategy of an us versus them, and them are getting what their just deserves. We don't want them to get their just deserves. We were given grace. And we want them to get grace. They're not the, our, the non-Christians are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. They are the victims. And we want to save victims from, the, from our enemy, from the devil. With love and respect, we want to tell people about Jesus. In this passage, Paul starts the conversation, but he, it doesn't finish in one session, does it? He starts in the marketplace. He starts in the synagogues. They invite him to the Areopagus. They make fun of him. A few people are willing to want to hear more. It's a process that he earned by being loving and respectful. We must be the same. We want to get to the point. We don't want to bait and switch. We want to get to the point of the, of the supremacy of Christ, but we want to do it in a loving and not a hateful, condemning manner. To be clear, Christ, Christ will, Paul's very clear, Christ will judge one day and separate uh, the saved from, or the sheep from the goats, the saved from the lost. But, it's, but God loves people, and he wants to save them through us, and Christmas is an awesome opportunity to show love and to show people the truth of the gospel. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 179. If you haven't made it about Christ, if you haven't made your life, if you haven't made Christ Lord of your life and and given your life to him, um, I think it's time to fix your priorities. They're out of whack. And it's time to get on the right page. um, And we should talk about that after church. For listening, you can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.